going to try to answer a very ultimate question this morning, which is, what is the will of God for your life? I think it gets asked a lot. Um, I don't think you ever stop asking that question. I asked that question before I went to college. I definitely asked that question after I graduated college. And um, in many ways, I'm still asking that question today. What's God's will for Avi Todd? What's, what's his will for the Todd family? What's his will for Haynes Creek? And I think that I severely complicate it. And I'm guilty of that time and time again. If I look back, I think from, from third grade on, I could probably trace every year of my life when I was being told that I needed something that I didn't need. All the way from third grade. And I think I can do it. And I'm going to give you a little snippet. All the way from third grade, whenever the world was shoveling me something that I was convinced that I needed, then found out that I really didn't need. And the reason I picked third grade is because, I don't know how they do it in Newton County or wherever you're from, but in Davis County, Kentucky, the jump from third grade to fourth grade is is a big jump. I don't know if that's the way it is here. Because in fourth grade, you need a trapper. How many, raise your hand if you had a trapper. Okay, you didn't know what a trapper was. Okay. Well, in third grade, your mom walks in with you, and you've got a cubby. But the cubbies are gone in fourth grade. See, now you've got to bring in your own stuff. And in third grade, I was told that I didn't just need a trapper. I needed a trapper keeper. Do you remember? Stephen Gaines is nodding like he knows what a trapper keeper is. Okay, those were really big back in the day. And they gave you a list of everything you needed because that was actually the first time you had your own desk was in fourth grade. And you, had, and you even made a little name tag. And they gave you a list of things. You needed highlighters. You needed erasers. You needed pencils. Then I graduated to the fifth grade. Made all A's in fourth grade, by the way. I was, I was the vice president in fourth grade. Um, I hang my hat on that. And then fifth grade, I find out you don't need a trapper keeper anymore. You need the zip five-star zipper trappers. You know what I'm talking about? Trapper keepers aren't in anymore. You need the five-star. And if you don't have one, you're behind. So guess who got the five-star? Or rather, guess whose mom went out and got him the five-star because that's what you need to be successful in fifth grade. But then I also noticed you don't use pencils anymore in fifth grade. You use pens. If you're using a pencil, that means you've got to buy an eraser. It wasn't, apparently wasn't sufficient that you actually use the eraser on the pencil. You actually go out and buy the big erasers. So I got, I got a uniball. That was the big one back then. I don't know if they're still big or not. But then you graduate to sixth grade, and that's when you have a locker. Big time. Yeah. So the sixth grade, you're not using pens or pencils anymore. What you really need, you can get yourself a pen, but now the big thing is you need a calculator and you need your own calculator. You can bring any kind of calculator you need, but if you know what's what, you need the TI-30. You know what I'm saying? Raise your hand if you had a TI-30 at one point. Okay, I can, t- I can tell I'm touching it one generation. The other one's like, I don't know what these things are. <laughs> and in middle school... You don't get away with getting your mom picking out your clothes. you got to pick your own clothes. And when sixth grade, it's baggy jeans and a Tommy Hilfiger shirt. Raise your hand if you wore that at any time. Okay, I'm hitting with Chris Stewart now. Then you graduate to seventh grade. 
By eighth grade, TI-30s are, might as well be in the dinosaur age. You need a what? You need a TI-83. And if you don't have a TI-83, well, you can't do whatever it is those buttons on the top say that you can do. So I went home to mom. I was like, Mom, I need to tell you. Yeah, sure, honey. Oh, my goodness gracious, it's $120. Mom, this is pre-algebra now. Well, I think I took pre-algebra. I don't think I needed a TI-83. <laughs> you obviously weren't doing math right because you need this calculator now. Okay. So I got, a, I got that. Well, the rat race continues all the way to high school. And don't even get me started. I think we all lived through that. That's just one thing after another of being told what you need to be cool or to fit in and to be successful. Then you go to college, and it's a whole other thing. You don't need calculators anymore. You need a what? You need a laptop. I remember that my freshman year of college, I did not have a laptop. I didn't have Facebook or a cell phone till my sophomore year. And by that time, I was a dinosaur. Except, and that was even worse, all the kids had smartphones. I didn't go to smartphone, I had the flip phone. Well, then I quickly found out, I mean, you can call people, man, you got a little text there, but you need a smartphone because I got the internet right here. Then I got a smartphone, then I found out I was behind, I needed an iPhone. Do you see how this works? Do you see how you could go back in time, in fact, and I hope you can trace this theme all the way to your current life now, because here's the newsflash. Many of us are still running the rat race now. You don't graduate from, from the rat race in college. It follows you. In fact, I would dare say a lot of people today are now running the rat race for their own kids. I want to make sure my kid has the TI-83. Probably not even TI-83 now. It's probably a TI-120. Do they have TI-84s now? Holy cow. Behind the times. My point is, when we get to become adult, when we get a family, when we're a dad, when we're a husband, now it's, my job's not enough. I mean, the, the job's okay now, but I got to work my way up. I got to climb the corporate ladder. I couldn't possibly be doing what I'm doing now in five years because I wouldn't be successful. Now it's, it's less TI-83s now, and it's more about, I mean, the house I got's okay now, but, you know, I, I wouldn't possibly be in the same house in 10 years. Well, why not? Well, because I need a bigger house. Why do you need a bigger house? Well, because we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to grow. And I couldn't certainly need the same size house that my parents had. We are running the rat race now just by virtue of breathing American air, folks. And many of us are guilty of it and we don't even know it. We laugh at the TI-83, but many of you are going home into your TI-83 lives and you think you need TI-84s. Thank you for that. I didn't even know you had those. This morning, I want to point at a reality that we, we're kind of social evolutionists in America. We think that life is supposed to get better. And if life doesn't get better, it must not be God's will. That's a lie. Your life doesn't have to get better. You don't have to accumulate more things. In fact, it's never granted to you, at least in the scriptures, that God's will is defined by progress of any kind. 
but one. Holiness. We're going to talk this morning about God's will for your life, if you had to boil it down and nothing else, is defined in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the word sanctification. If you are not advancing, if I am not advancing, if our church is not progressing in the holiness of God, we are not in God's will. I think sometimes I look at my own life, and I don't think I think this consciously, but subconsciously I often feed lies to myself, and I think that if I haven't advanced in life in some way, that I haven't advanced as a person. If my life's not better now than it was five years, then somehow I'm not doing something right. But I don't think the Scriptures ever point that. In fact, as we're going to see this morning, God desires us to live simple lives. Simple people. So if you turn your text to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I don't hear as much rustling. I think that's just because I provided the text now. So, um, If you found it, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's pray. Father, help us to live as quiet, simple, thankful, honest, God-loving people. Father, fix our eyes on Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Show us what it means to live quietly. And all these things we ask in your presence, or in your, in your son's name, amen. Who has ever had, maybe, maybe you don't want to say it and that's fine, who's had, who has ever had uh, school loans? Oh, wow, a lot of people here. Kelly and I are with you. Um, I'm assuming most people in here have had a mortgage. Life isn't very simple, is it? It's not. At least the bank doesn't think it is. (laughs) It's very easy to go on and on, yada, yada, live quietly, live simply, and then you come home and you have to pay bills, and you have to feed mouths. Life isn't very simple. In fact, there's a little toggle, at least there was at one point on Facebook, says we're in a relationship, but it's complicated. We live very complicated lives, and we add things to our lives. We get bigger as families go. We get jobs, and life doesn't get very simple anymore. I think I've asked this question before, but I want to ask it again because I, 
I hate these kinds of people, and I think we have a lot of them in our church. Now you're going to wonder what I'm asking you. Raise your hand if you're doing today what you wanted to do when you were a little kid. Oh, wow. I mean, I love you. I just hate you at the same time. Because <laughs> that's not me. I wanted to be a dump truck owner when I was little. Didn't work out. Um, I've asked kids. I love asking kids what they want to do when they grow up. I love it because it gets them so excited. And most kids at a certain, past a certain point, they know what they want to do. Don't put the flame out. Just watch them. They have dreams and aspirations. Kids want to do all kinds of things. You know, and then there's the basic stuff. I mean, you have kids that want to like, be pro you know, athletes, but you also have kids that just want to be a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer. At no point in time have I ever come across a kid and be like, hey, what do you want to do to grow up? Well, I mean, I honestly just want to live quietly and mind my own affairs. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Weird kid. <laughs> but that kid is not a weird kid. Why have I never come across a kid who wanted to live quietly and mind his own affairs? Probably because the kid hasn't read 1 Thessalonians 4. But it's also because Paul's instructions to the Thessalonians is not what the world is feeding you or your kids. What do we hear from the world? Do more, make more, have more, say more. But that's not what Paul says right here. He says, if you could break it down into the four things, actually, if you want to go ahead and put that up, here's what four things he tells us right here at least in this passage. Love one another more and more. Aspire to live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands. That's God's will. And we're going to break that down because I have a problem with the fourth one because I'm not like Ben Malloy and I can't just build things. But there you go. That's what God wants from you. In fact, He even tells them, hey, you've been loving very well to the people of Macedonia, but don't stop there. Do it what? More and more. I want y'all just look at that right there. Is that your life? Do you live quietly? Do you mind your own business? I'll go ahead and think that's what he's saying. The world says that we need to accumulate more and more, and God says we need to love more and more. The world says you need to increase your stock. The world says you need to advance in your professional status. And God says you need to always increase in love. And anything beyond that, you're just adding to it. If I were to ask a random person in Covington, I'd go, go down here to the square and I'd go, Hey, what's God's will for your life? What do you think they'd say? If it was an adult, I think they would say, Well, I mean... Take care of my family, be a good person, maybe. If I go to a kid in high school, they'd probably go, go to college. If I was to find a young adult that, you know, what's God's will for your life? They'd go, uh, find a career. But the Bible never talks about God's will in those terms, does it? It's funny, you know, what are you called to do? What's God's will for your life? It's funny that when we ask those questions today, we get things and places and times, but when God asks those questions in the Bible, we get a person. Verses 3 through 4. I'm going to go back. I don't know if we have it right there. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. 
The will of God is your sanctification. Sanctus, oh, I think we got, I got uh, Yuri in here telling me. Uh, Sanctus is Latin for holy sanctification. Growing, there's the facare means to grow, I think. To grow in holiness is God's will for your life. Therefore, to be in God's will in your life is to be found in Christ, to be growing in holiness, to be increasingly conformed to the image of Christ, and to advance in sanctification. Word to the parents here. If you're a parent, listen to me. We have a generation of kids who thinks that God's will is a career choice or a direction in life. But your job as a parent is to make sure that your kids understand that God's will is not a thing. It is not a place. It is a who. Your number one job in this life isn't to find a good career and buy a house. It's to worship Jesus and to love Him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. John Piper wrote a book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. Phenomenal book. This is what he says. Now we are free indeed, not to be autonomous, but to want what is good. A whole new way of life opens to us when the death of Christ becomes the death of of our old self. Therefore, our old self wanted to climb the corporate ladder, not just simply for the sake of giving glory to God, but for self-glory. God did not set you free so that you could be a money-grubbing hoarder. God did not set you free from sin so that you could climb the corporate ladder so that you could be the, the big one on top. Jesus died so that we would live unto Him regardless of our job and regardless of our financial circumstances. If you are spending your life right now racking your brain over what God's will is for your life, what house you're going to buy, what school your kids are going to go to, your financial investment, what job, what career choice you're going to make, and you are not having any of these conversations in relation to what God's will for my life is in growing in conformity to Jesus, you are not in God's will. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. You could find the right job, the right house, the right church, the right wife, right husband, great kids, right everything, not be in the word of God seeking after Christ, and you are not in God's will. Look at verse 11. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Now, the last one kind of gets me where I'm going, work with my hands. I'm not good working with my hands a lot. I'm not. I watch Ben like make things, and I'm just like, that's, that's a calling. I'm doing mine. He does his. But that really gets me because I'm like, okay, what does that mean then? If I'm supposed to work with my hands and I don't, am I in God's will? Keep in mind, this is the very same church, the church at Thessalonica, where Paul told them, if you do not work, you do not eat. So there's a problem at Thessalonica where they're doing really good in the Scriptures, they're loving people, but they're a little lazy. They're a little slothful. The point is not that every Christian should be a woodworker and build things. The point is that every Christian should be a hard worker. From the Garden of Eden until now, God has given man a command, and that is to work and reflect and represent God in the work that we do. 
When we're lazy, it tells a lie about God. It tells a lie about his character. It tells a lie about his mission. And it tells a lie about his will for his people. Christians should work and they should live joyfully, but, but make no mistake, in the Bible, God's will is not a specific job. It's that you work cheerfully in the job that you have. I'm going to say that one more time because I had to tell myself that a few times in my life. In the Bible, God's will is not a specific job. It's that you work cheerfully at the job you have. God can be pleased with your life well done, O oh good and faithful servant. God can look upon you and see that you're being obedient in the midst of a season where you hate your job. Do you ever think about that? Well, no, I mean, I think, I think I'm going to please God even more. I think I'm going to bring Him even more glory if I can get that job. Stop there. So you just put a conditional on that a Bible doesn't add. Your sanctification is not dependent upon the job you have. In fact, oftentimes God's will is that you display God's holiness in a bad job so that others can see Jesus in you. Working well at a bad job is God's will. Working poorly at a good job is not God's will. Success and progress and prosperity are not to be equated with God's will for your life. Jesus didn't die to make you happy. He died to make you holy. People say that. And you could really qualify that better. You could be, the, the goal is that the Spirit of God would indwell your heart such that you are happy being holy. So if we could sum up Paul's message to the Thessalonians, we, I would do it like this. Live lovingly, live quietly, live thankfully, live simply, live honestly. Live lovingly, live quietly, live thankfully, live simply, live honestly. And, and, and let's, let's make sure here. The idea is not that you would just keep your mouth shut and be a simple person. Let's just go down the line here. To aspire to live quietly. The idea is not that you just live quietly. The idea is that you would be okay with the words that God has said rather than offering your own. To remind your own affairs. The idea would be that you don't have to meddle in other people's business because you're satisfied and content with the business of the kingdom. To work with your hands. The idea is that you would be cheerful and joyful doing what God has called you to do because you have joy in God, not your job. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. That's because you are not dependent on anybody but Jesus Christ. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So love one another more and more. Live quietly. Mind your own business. Don't worry about what others have gotten from God. Be thankful with what you have. And work to please the Lord and not yourself. Everyone in here has a job of some kind. doesn't matter who your employer is. You're working. When you go, hopefully you're not working today, but when you go wherever you go tomorrow, you're going to do a job. You're going to labor, and you're going to do it wherever it is, whatever you're doing, to reflect and represent Jesus Christ. Your job tomorrow is to do the very same thing Adam was tasked to do in the garden, but you do it under the banner of the gospel now. It's, it's hard to do those things. Can you flip back those five things I put up there? It's hard to do that in 21st century America. It's hard. 
Live lovingly. The world doesn't want you to love others. That's your competition. Don't be nice to your coworkers. They're your obstacle. That person was mean to you. Don't live quietly. you got to build your brand. Did you see all the people that put that stuff on Facebook? You better go on Facebook now and tell them off. You don't need to mind your own affairs. You need to be look ahead. Never be satisfied. Don't live simply. Diversify your portfolio. Get a better job. Build a bigger house. Don't live honestly. I mean, you're not going to get anywhere in the world if you give everybody your secrets. The world is not going to give you that. But Christ will. And what Jesus says is that God's people do not live like the world. Look at verse 12. Why do we do this? Why do we do what we do? Here's what he says. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So that the idea there is not don't borrow money and make as much money as you can so that you're not dependent on anybody financially. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't shame the name of Christ by the way you live your life and the way you run your business. Don't be known as somebody who runs his business like a shark. Don't be known as somebody who runs his or her business uh, but you love getting your glory and you don't give any to anyone else. Don't be known as someone who acts one way at church and another way when he gets to work on Monday. Don't be in need of others to cover up for you. Let your life and your integrity and your love and your meekness and your humility speaking for itself. God calls us to live simply, to live quietly, and to live humbly. I remember the first time somebody... I've been asked this several times since, but I remember the first time every, someone came up to me and they're like, Bobby, what's your five-year plan? Five-year plan? I didn't know that I needed one. Like, where am I going to be in five years? Yeah. I mean, they were serious. This was a friend. They were like, where are you going to be in five years? I, I don't know. I mean, I hopefully got a job. They're like, Bobby. Well, you got a five-year, this is what they say. You got a five-year plan, whether you know it or not. And you got you to gotta settle your life now and vision where you want to be if you're going to be where you want to be in five years. Raise your hand if somebody's ever asked you if you got a five-year plan. And then I graduated, and now people are asking me if i got a ten-year plan. And there's nothing wrong with having a five-year plan. I, I do have one. I married my wife, and she got us one. <laughs> but here's my five-year plan. I want to love God, and I want to love neighbor more than I am now in five years. I want to live more quietly in five years than I am now. I want to care less about other people's business in five years than I do right now. I want to be less dependent upon what other people say and what other people are concerned about in five years than I am right now. I want to be minding my own affairs in five years because I'm doing even more kingdom work than I am today. That's my five-year plan. And if that sounds very anticlimactic to you, like, Abby, okay, man, it sounds really good, but you do need a five-year plan. If that's kind of like pithy and like, oh, I mean, Abby, that really sells behind a pulpit, but you really need something. If that sounds like, Abby, that, you're not going to be successful. Are you letting the world define success for you more than God is? Because God's will for your life is not defined by success. It is defined by simple sanctification. 
Will you be a more holy person in five years? It is, it is extraordinarily sad to meet a Christian who is just the same person they were from the beginning. That's when you have to question someone's salvation. B.H. Carroll, I'm going throwback Southern Baptist for some of y'all. Our relation to God is the first of all relations in importance. Its obligations are paramount. The fear of man's judgment, the desire to please men, becomes a snare when it leads us to put the creature above the creator. It is a convincing evidence of depravity, a cogent proof of flabbiness in moral fiber when we become unduly sensitive to public opinion. It reveals that we have no fixed, no supreme standard of right and wrong. So it's either live a simple life or live a morally ambiguous one. There's really only two choices. The scriptures say that Jesus was born as a slave. He was a carpenter's son. He walked well with outsiders. He was honest. He was hardworking. He studied the scriptures. He honored his parents. He only really had a small group of friends. He only ate what he needed and he really ultimately died a death, stripped bare of all he had, but he was crucified in order to save others. His life was defined by love. He lived a simple, extraordinary life, and he is calling his people to the very same thing. How many people do you know, don't, don't raise your hand, how many people do you know who died with a lot of money and they left behind a legacy of selfishness and shallowness? Second question. How many people do you know who died with almost nothing but their love was great and people still talk about them today? That's because love is the legacy we want. But you can't buy it. You can't purchase love. And Jesus says, don't be satisfied with just being a decent person today. Have the love abounding more and more in all righteousness by the Spirit of God so that you are oozing the character of Jesus and the world looks upon you, they say, you don't fit in. It's becoming increasingly more difficult in this life to live a simple life. And yet that is exactly those who Jesus has reserved the kingdom. Are you a simple person? Answer that. I think you should. I had to. And it might be hard for us to hear this this morning, but having a really, really, really busy schedule can be spiritually deadly for your family. Oh, no, I don't think busyness is harmful. It's not preferable, but everybody's busy. No, no, not everyone's busy. The people at Thessalonica are not busy. Here's another one. Having no time in your life but to eat, work, and maybe watch a little TV, your soul is almost certainly in danger. In this world, we often make decisions based on what's going to get us out of debt quicker, what's going to move us into the most comfortable life the fastest, who will eliminate, how will I eliminate my financial risk the most. How will our family prosper? What gives us the best chance of getting our best life now? But none of those things are ever deemed God's will in the Scriptures. God is calling a simple, quiet, godly, thankful people unto Himself. Jesus 
shed his own blood so that we would no longer have condemnation, we would no longer live for ourselves, and we would no longer be dependent upon our job and our circumstances to worship him in spirit and in truth. If you have a job right now, you don't... Raise your hand if you don't... I'm just kidding, I ain't going to do that. <laughs> if you hate your, if your job, don't raise your hand, Daryl. Um, if you hate your job right now, if you are dissatisfied with your job right now, you have an opportunity to be at a less than desirable place and you have an opportunity to declare to the world, I don't want what you want. I want him. You have an opportunity, a perfect opportunity to labor in the name of Jesus so that you can tell the world it's not what you do that defines you, it is the one who purchased you. This morning, if you're in a chapter of your life where you are so busy, you are so stressed, you don't even have time to think, here's my question, why? What for? The author of Ecclesiastes would tell you that it is all vanity. This morning, I want to call us back to the will of God, which is sanctification in Christ Jesus. Because if you're like me, you complicate your life too much. And God says, the Christian life's hard, but it's not complicated. I want to invite anyone this morning, I'll be in the very back, to talk to me if somehow your life isn't what you thought it was and you really want to make it better, but you really want to make sure your priority is within distance of the cross first. That's a God-pleasing life. Let's pray. Father, we want to be in your will. And there is nothing for which we can please you if it does not have faith. Father, give us faith to believe in Jesus and not ourselves, to seek after Jesus and not a job, and to be content in Jesus and not discontent because we don't have what our flesh wants. Father, your Son is sufficient. We are not self-sufficient people. We are not independent people. We are grossly dependent upon you and your power and your love. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.